This podcast is brought to you by Intel vPro. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is Please Go On, where we go deeper with the author of an important op-ed. While the West has been focused on Russia's buildup around Ukraine, Russian troops also deployed this month into Kazakhstan. The country faced the worst violence it's seen since declaring independence from the Soviet Union in 1991. About 225 people were killed during the unrest, including 19 members of the security forces. My guest this week, Nargis Kaseneva, argues that despite concerns in Washington, Kazakhstan will not return to Russia's fold. Over the past three decades, U.S. policy in Kazakhstan has consistently worked to reinforce the new nation's independence, sovereignty, and territorial integrity, shaking Russia's neo-imperial tendencies. Nargis is a senior fellow at the Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard University. She's also an associate professor on sabbatical at Kimip University in Almaty, which was the epicenter of the protests in Kazakhstan. Here's our conversation. I switched on the recording. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> this story hasn't been getting enough attention here in the United States. For listeners who may be unfamiliar with your home country, what would you say are some important things to know about Kazakhstan and its relationship to the United States? Kazakhstan is a country located in, in Central Asia. It's one of the five former Soviet Asian republics. As everybody else, we became independent as a result of the collapse of the Soviet Union. And it is known to outsiders uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, first, it is endowed uh, with uh, oil and gas. It is uh, also in this sort of special position in between Russia, China, well, to some extent, Europe, and it's close to uh, Iran. It has special links uh, with Turkey, sort of this center of Eurasia, which we're proud of. It's a pretty big country. If you look at the territory, it's the ninth largest country in the world. From the very beginning, uh, the United States has been a very important partner for Kazakhstan. The oil reserves that were of interest to American companies, Chevron and Exxon, they, they were among the first ones who arrived. And actually, the negotiations started during the late Soviet times without the participation of the Kazakh government. Another very important reason why the Americans were quite interested in establishing very quick partnership with Kazakhstan, with the Kazakh government, that's the fact uh, that Kazakhstan inherited a, a considerable nuclear arsenal. At the time of the collapse, it actually had the fourth largest nuclear arsenal in the world. So it was very important for American uh, policymakers to make sure that uh, it doesn't turn into a nuclear a nuclear state and you know, agrees to denuclear rise. Ironically, because there's so much oil there, it, it was rising fuel prices <laughs> that triggered some of this initial unrest. Can you take us through that? It, uh, you know, they're a net exporter, obviously, of, of oil, but the prices were increased for getting gas for your car, and that triggered frustration with the government. And take us from there. Well, you're absolutely right that it was a spike in uh, fuel prices that triggered the um, the protests 
at the beginning of this year. But it was just a trigger because actually it wasn't just, you know, the, the fuel and, you know, the sudden increase um, of its cost uh, that made people so upset. They, they were, the, the grievances had been accumulating over years and actually over decades. Because indeed, Kazakhstan is a very rich country. If you look at you know what we what we produce, what we sell in the markets, but you wouldn't see that if you look at the conditions people live in. Uh, and of course, uh, of course, people were not happy with that. They they saw that uh, the rich are getting richer. The 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 money is actually goes to the capitals, and you can if you go to Almaty where. The kind of the most violent protests took place. You see these pockets of uh, conspicuous consumption. You you see very kind of European style, you know. So people had been increasingly unhappy, and that was just sort of a spark that uh, that ignited ignited the fire. Apart from social economic grievances, there were also political grievances. It is an uh, authoritarian state. There were no channels for people to to voice discontent, to do something about it, to uh, keep uh, keep the government accountable. There were, there, there were no free free and fair elections. Uh, corruption, corruption was rampant. And uh, it's sort of a typical story in a way. We see this situation in many developing countries that are rich uh, in natural resources where the elites live one kind of life, sort of first world life, and uh, and the people are in, you know, a much more difficult situation. Absolutely. Amid this unrest, hundreds of protesters have been killed, and most significantly, President Tokayev asked the Collective Security Treaty Organization, CSTO, which is a Russian-led security alliance of former Soviet Republic, for assistance. And that request was granted, as you write, at lightning speed, making it this group's first operation to help a member state deal with a security crisis. Why your op-ed is so heartening <laughs> amid kind of what has been scary developments in the region lately is that there there is a lot of local unease about the Russian troops coming into the country. What's happening right now on the ground? And, and what do we know about the mood of citizens who are there and how they're feeling? What happened over the past two and a half weeks it's a very complex story, and actually we don't know all the details of it. Uh, we know that the, the, the protests started, they spread across the country, they became more and more political, and the slogans, Shalket, which, which means old men leave, addressed to uh, President Nazarbayev, who who is actually not the current president, but uh, he resigned in 2019, but kept a lot of power in the country as officially according to the constitutional law, the, the first president leader of the nation. So people associated the system with Nazarbayev. Was, despite his resignation, was still considered to be Nazarbayev's system. Therefore, the slogan. And the second was uh, the, uh, the demand for free and fair elections. Then very quickly, the as I already mentioned, the protests spread and the most consequential events took place in Almaty, which is the former capital of Kazakhstan and the biggest city, the most vibrant, it's the commercial capital. And there, strange things happened. So the protests were initially suppressed the way they usually are in my country. But then um, on the night uh, 
uh, of the fourth and fifth. Uh, there were big crowds um, coming to the center of the city, and then uh, there were clashes with the police. There were attacks and successful attacks on some government buildings, the city mayor's office, and uh, uh, and some other <laughs> some other police stations, and so on and so forth. And there was mass marauding and chaos in the streets. And that's the day when uh, President Tokayev removed first President Nazarbayev from the position of the uh, chair of the Security Council, which was a huge move, you know, for for our system, as you can imagine. Uh, And uh, he called on the CSTO for help. The CSTO decided to send peacekeepers, which is also a very interesting kind of uh, decision because peacekeepers are usually sent uh, at the end of the conflict, right, to maintain to maintain peace. Uh, so they, they arrived and uh, the official Kazakh story was that, okay, they will be guiding the, uh, the infrastructure objects, important infrastructure objects, letting the Kazakh forces, sort of releasing uh, um, more Kazakh forces for the uh, counter-terrorist operation. And so are, are the, the and I'm saying this in quotes, in, in air quotes, peacekeepers, are the Russian troops still on the ground? No, in, they are, they are the gone. So it was a, they've gone. Yes, it was a very short operation. Uh, and the, and that's, that's actually what the presidents were saying, that, you know, as soon as the situation stabilizes, uh, peacekeepers will go home. It seems the Kazakh side was very eager to send them home as soon as possible because definitely this call for help was a blow for the reputation of Kazakhstan as a sovereign state because despite the rhetoric, it's quite clear that it's not an external terrorist attack, uh, what we saw in the country, that it was something internal. Definitely it was a political crisis, a very a complex political crisis because we had, uh, you know, protests on the ground and uh, uh, and we also s- uh, saw some intra-elite struggle as a result of which Nazarbayev's family was removed, you know, and uh, fled the country. Anyhow, it was an internal affair, first and foremost. Maybe with external linkages, I don't exclude that. And we do see some signs of that, but definitely core of it was was domestic, was internal. Ultimately, President Tokayev calling in Russian help, even if it was just a brief deployment, does sort of indicate that there is this patron-client-state relationship. The story of the last few decades is that the a lot of the people in the country don't want to be part of a client state of, of Russia. They lived through the, the Soviet experience. That's how we can describe the relationship between Kazakhstan and Russia over the past three decades. Well, we are an independent state, but definitely with very strong linkages with Russia. And Russia is the strategic ally number one. In And our political elites have very tight connections, linkages with the Russian elites. But this sort of exposed it, brought it to the surface, right? Uh, exposed it more than um, than anybody would have wanted it to be, uh, to be exposed, uh, that our sovereignty is, you know, not as firm as we thought. And that in times of a political crisis, you know, whom do we ask for help? We ask Russia for help and 
if it is an attempted coup, as the government says now, right? That means our political elites had not been able to resolve these problems themselves. We'll be right back after a short break. This podcast is brought to you by Intel vPro. AI PCs built for business with Intel Core Ultra Processors and Intel vPro are optimized for hundreds of AI apps and tools to boost user productivity, all with AI-powered threat detection. Learn more at intel.com slash itheroes. Looking at this from the Russian perspective, you can sort of understand why Vladimir Putin would be terrified of another color revolution at his back door. We saw a decade ago those other former Soviet countries who tried to throw off Russian influence. Can you talk about what Putin's thinking might be here? And are there reasons to believe that a revanchist Russia might be trying to basically reclaim Kazakhstan as a Soviet state, not necessarily like Ukraine, where they want to annex it, but to pull it tighter back into the Russian sphere of influence? Yes, well, uh, Kazakhstan was not trying actively to break break away, right? It was, uh, uh, it was a softer approach, um, I would think better calibrated because we uh, we never wanted to do something in Russia's face, you know. And for us, good relations with Russia are of crucial importance. But at the same time, the the main direction was to to build up uh, independence and uh, make our own uh, our own decisions, and and it definitely helped to to deepen relations with other actors to sort of not to be overwhelmed by Russia, right? And then relations with the United States have always been important for uh, for, for Kazakhstan and uh, uh, and its government. So it was this kind of this soft balancing act that uh, that the country, um, country has been doing. It has to balance because it, uh, having China, you know, on the other side, right, uh, it's, also something that uh, need to be taken very seriously and, you know, how to manage this rising power um, next door. So, so yes, I would describe it this way. How much influence does China have over Kazakhstan's domestic affairs? Well, it doesn't have much influence over the domestic affairs. Uh, of course, uh, compared to the early independence, its role increased considerably, its presence and its role increased considerably. It's a very important neighbor. Uh, It is uh, a very important uh, source of money, now increasingly also source of technologies. But it's also an important, uh, very important neighbor and we're trying to benefit from it, right? Uh, And uh, kind of control the control the damage, potential damage as well. Going back to the strife of the last few weeks, on Tuesday, former President Nazarbayev posted a video with his first public comments since the violence erupted, essentially saying he supports the country's new leader and his economic reforms. Kazakhstan. 
This was the first time we've seen Nazarbayev since late December. There's been lots of speculation of a rupture between him and his successor, but also speculation that he'd fled the country. In this video, he claims without showing any proof that he's still in Kazakhstan. You alluded earlier to the idea that since the unrest, a number of officials related directly to Nazarbayev have been removed from their posts. What was the significance of the former leader putting out this video, and how credible are his claims? I would think he is in in the capital. I think he stayed, uh, and I think he he stayed because he wants to salvage uh, salvage his reputation as you know the father of the nation and the statesman. You know, uh, if if you flee the country, then it's not a very good ending to the story. Already, it's not a very good ending to the story, right? Uh, Right. It's quite a downfall. But uh, but if he fled. You know, then it would be even would have been even worse. Uh, so I, I guess th- there is some kind of agreement, uh, and uh, well, it seems he'll be allowed to peacefully peacefully retire. And it's something that he claims in the video. It's quite interesting <laughs> what what he says. He said, "I received many kind of uh, many inquiries and." I'm a pensioner. Since 2019, I have been a pensioner. So it's sort of, you know, I'm not responsible <laughs> for what, um, what's been happening. So, but the fact that his family members are removed, that's, uh, that, that tells you everything. My last question is, what role the United States should be playing here? What's the smartest way for Washington to assist the sovereignty of the Kazakh people? Well, I would say it will be very important for Kazakhstan if the U.S. continues to watch closely uh, the developments, also to um, to make sure, kind of, I don't know if you can make sure, but uh, but uh, try to make sure that uh, uh, that the reforms are going in the right direction. Already, the State Department said that the, um, the United States is ready to help with the reforms. I think that will be. That would be really good. It will take two to tango, of course, uh, if the animosity between the U.S. and Russia somehow starts going down. Um, I don't know how realistic uh, this is, but but definitely the fact that uh, um, uh, that the rivalries, geopolitical rivalries, are growing uh, is uh, shrinking the room for maneuver for countries like uh, like Kazakhstan. Well. Uh... Let's hope that the, uh, the the situation continues to improve. And we also hope that Russia doesn't invade Ukraine, which, as you know, <laughs> would, would complicate all of this. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. What, what a year, yes. Uh, well, I also hope uh, this horrible thing will not happen because it will be a disaster of enormous, uh, enormous proportion for, <laughs> for all of us. Um, so let's, let's see how it goes. But uh, I do hope that... Uh, um, that the United States will continue to support the, uh, the sovereignty and independence and territorial integrity of, uh, of Kazakhstan and other countries in the, in the region. It will be much appreciated. Uh, thank you so much, Professor. I really appreciate the time. Thank you very much.
Russian troops have left the country, but we don't know what kind of deal Kazakh President Tokayev may have made with Vladimir Putin. It does seem clear, though, that most Kazakhs do not want more Russian involvement in their internal affairs. It was striking that the center of the protests this month was the central square in Almaty. It was the same square where Kazakh demonstrators first appeared in defiance of the status quo in December 1986, one of the earliest civic protests in the Gorbachev era, and a formative episode in the development of a Kazakh national consciousness. That was brutally suppressed by Soviet troops. But the wind of freedom kept blowing. Will it blow again? Please Go On is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, with editing from Allison Michaels, Renita Jablonski, and Michael Duffy. This episode was mixed by Veronica Simonetti. Our theme music is by Ted Muldoon. The show notes include a link to Nargis Kaseneva's op-ed. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review. It helps new listeners find us. I'm James Holman, and I'll be back next week with another episode because there's always more to say. This podcast is brought to you by Intel vPro. AI PCs built for business with Intel Core Ultra Processors and Intel vPro are optimized for hundreds of AI apps and tools to boost user productivity, all with AI-powered threat detection. Learn more at intel.com slash itheroes.